Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Well, I want to uh, share something this morning that may be a little bit of a challenge for you. We'll see how that goes in a few minutes, but I, I want to let you know that it's so good to be saved, isn't it? How many are glad this morning you're, you're saved? Hallelujah. I, I met Jesus when I was 23 years old in 1972. So you can do the math if you want. Uh, 1972. So this November will be 50 years. And, uh, and God has been faithful and good all the way, all the way. I want to tell you just a little bit about how that happened so we can connect a little bit more. And I was raised in a good home, but totally unchurched. I'd been in church on a Sunday morning, I think twice in my entire life, up to the age of, of 23. So totally biblically illiterate. And in 1972, I'd been out of the Navy for about a year after four years in the United States Navy and bouncing from job to job. Being in the Navy after flunking out of college was good for me. It taught me some discipline and taught me about chain of command and some of those kinds of things. But I also learned to drink and swear and smoke and some other things. So I was undisciplined and bouncing from job to job homeless. My parents had kicked me out of their home, rightfully so, because of the way I was living. But on the way out the door, my dad said to me, why don't you go down to the friendly ice cream shop? It used to have friendlies here in in Pennsylvania, right? Everybody know what friendlies is? Well, back in the old days, it was the old style friendly ice cream shop. And so I needed a job. And I, I was living at the time, I found a place, I was homeless, but the, the owner of the taxi cab business in town let me stay in the back room, and that was just literally almost across the street from, from the friendly. So I went over and applied. They were hiring uh, manager trainees, and back in those days, friendly started their manager trainees in the back room washing the dishes. And so, so that's where I started, and I'd been there about two weeks, and I remember one night... We were getting ready to close, and I was bussing dishes and, you know, trying to get everything cleaned up and so on. And so I was carrying these bus pans of dishes down through the, through the aisle to the back room, and one of the waitresses was filling the ketchup and mustard bottles there on the counter in back of the grill. The shift supervisor was cooking at the grill and so on, the last things and cleaning up. And unintentionally, I, as I went by, there was a gallon jar of mustard on the counter that was, you know, had, it was, it had a handle on it. And un, unintentionally, I, I brushed it as I went by. And uh, it fell off onto the floor. Did I ever tell you this story, John and Florence? No. So I, I, it fell off onto the floor and I was safely by because I was going fairly fast. And, and unfortunately, it landed right side up. If you are aware of physics, you know, you know, it would have been better if it had been upside down, of course, or sideways even, but it landed right side up. And the compression forces of falling off a counter at that height, you know, created this geyser of mustard. And it went everywhere, all over the counters and the ceiling and the grill and the shift supervisor. And, 
and it was a mess. Things did work out okay. We, we cleaned it up, and actually things worked out okay with the shift supervisor, too. I married her less than a year later. <laughs> My wife, Linda, uh, and she's been so good to me and good for me over the last 50 years. So it was a couple weeks after that before I got up the courage to ask her out. But I did ask her out. And she was a college student at the time helping out. This was a new friendly ice cream that was, that was opening up. And, and I, I asked her out and she said something to me that no other young lady had said. She said, well, I'm living at my parents' home and there's a, there's a rule for my sister and I that anybody that we date, any guy that we date, has to go to church. And uh, so that was a new one. But she was really cute, still is. So, okay. Now, Friendly's, at that time, Sunday morning was a busy time, so I couldn't go on Sunday morning. But they had a Sunday night service. Does anybody remember Sunday night services? And uh, so, uh, Assembly of God Church... In North Adams, Massachusetts, a uh, good church, but not a, not a real big church. Sunday nights, there were 20, 25 people there. I'm sure I was the only sinner in the place. And, but the pastor faithfully preached the gospel. You know, praise the Lord for, for faithful pastors that are preaching the gospel. And Sunday night after Sunday night, I didn't accept. I, I was very hard. My heart was, was very hard. They sang... The hymns, you know, that was back when we used to sing hymns. They sing choruses too, but sang hymns and, um, and I wouldn't sing at all. Linda asked me, well, why, you know, why don't you sing along, you know, instead of just being stone-faced there? And I said, well, I don't, I don't believe those words. I, I classified myself as an agnostic, but for all intents and purposes, I was an atheist. And so I was going just to make, keep her happy, you know, and hopefully keep her parents happy. And so, but... About, after about six weeks, the, the pastor, you know, every Sunday night, giving an altar call, and this one particular Sunday night, for some reason, I found my hand raised when he gave the invitation. And, I, and <laughs> thankfully, he didn't ask me to come forward. I don't know if I could have done that. Instead, he closed the service. He came down, and by that time, he knew my name, of course, and he said, he said John, let's sit down, talk a little bit, and he sh- I remember, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I know he shared the gospel with me again. And he said, would you like to pray and accept Jesus into your heart and, and as your Savior? And I said, no. <laughs> I told you I was very hard. And uh, he, he, he said, well, why not? You raised your hand. And I said, well, I don't really believe that Jesus exists. I, you know, I, 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 don't, I just don't believe that stuff. I don't know why I raised my hand. I felt something, and, and he said, he, I believe, guided by the Holy Spirit, he said, well, he said, could you pray like this? Lord Jesus, I'm not sure that you're there, but if you are, would you forgive me and come into my heart? And I said, yes, I guess I could pray that. He didn't say anything else very wisely. He bowed his head, and those exact words, Lord Jesus, I'm not sure if you're there, but if you are, please forgive me and come into my heart. And he led me in that prayer. And as I was praying that prayer, there was an explosion of light inside my head. And it wasn't anything that I, you know, had expected or imagined. I'd never heard of anybody seeing the light or anything like that. And, but I, I was stunned. I didn't say anything because I thought, 
I didn't know what to think. And, but it was very real. It wasn't, it was just startling, warm and cool at the same time. And the first time in my life I talked to Jesus and he responds. That was, to me, that was like, yeah, I am here. I didn't get saved that night. I don't think I got saved that night because I didn't, it was kind of like this, you know, revelation that, that God was real. The pastor gave me a Bible. I took it home to the taxi, taxi stand and uh, I started to read it. The only book that I'd heard of in the Bible was the book of Revelation, so that's where I started. And, and it was about two weeks. It was about two weeks. I don't know exactly what day of the, what day of the month. It was November, I believe. And, and it was about one in the morning. I was sitting at the, at the desk in the taxi stand office. I w- was dispatching at night. And uh, I was reading. I had the Bible open on the desk and reading the book of Revelation. I'd, I don't know exactly where I was reading, but I, that's where I was. And somehow God's word came alive in the way it does and entered my heart. And I understood. I didn't understand very much, but I understood that God loved me. Jesus had died for me on the cross and that I was filled with sin. And I got down on my knees in that office and wept my way through to Jesus. And when I got up, I was a different man. And some people may say, you know, John, you're not what you should be, but I'll tell you, thank God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Not what I used to be. And uh, so I gave the cute girl at Friendly's a ring a week before Christmas. She wasn't sure, but she finally said yes. We got married that next summer, and by the next summer, we were in Bible school in Seattle and pastoring, God kind of accelerated things. And in 1977, the end of 1977, God called us to plant a church in a town of 15,000 in southwestern Vermont, actually Linda's hometown, the place where I grew up from sixth grade up, which a place that we knew was cold and hard, didn't have a, hardly had an evangelical witness, let alone a Pentecostal witness. And, uh, but we had, we moved cross country with our six month, six month old son, Nathan. And uh, in March of 1978, we opened Green Mountain Christian Center and planted the church there. And uh, God was merciful to us and helped us. I'm going to share maybe Lord willing here, if I have time a little bit more about that experience. And, and I want to share with you from my heart, a discipline that changed my life, that, that gave me strength when I needed it, that, that really restored and reconstituted my soul when I was broken and, and struggling and hurting the worst that I, the worst thing that I ever went through in my entire life. And uh, I know you probably, you might've seen the, the notes, uh, the title of, of the message this morning is the spiritual impact of scripture memorization. That's kind of a big mouthful. And uh, if, if you just switched me off right there, because I mentioned the word memorization, turn it back on. It's going to be Okay. I realize that some, you know, sometimes people are a little fearful when you talk about memorization and I'm not here to stress you out. I'm not here to, you know, force you to do anything that you don't want to do or, or something that you think you can't do. But I would like to encourage you, just like me sitting at that taxi cab stand and, 
and and having the word of god you know work its its work in me we i i understand you're here probably this morning because you love god and you love his word right how many could say that you love you love god and you love his word and if you're a visitor here this this may sound extreme but that's okay we're we're used to being right i mean holy rollers or you know, we're out on the edge there a little bit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe, yeah, being born again and, and all that, that stuff. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful church. Not the building, but, Lord, the, these people, the precious living temple of a holy God. I thank you for each and every one here this morning, those that are listening uh, through cyberspace, as it were, Lord, that you'll bless each one, that you'll cause us to fall even deeper in love with you and, and your word and help us to know your word and, and meditate on your word and grow in your word and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My, I've entitled this message, Oh, How I Love Thy Law. It's, that's a portion of a verse from Psalm 119, verse 97. The, the working title was what it was and and that's fine, and it doesn't really matter, except that that's, that's really the, the message, right? We, we love God's Word, and, and our relationship with Jesus and with the Father is inextricably and, and uh, unchangeably linked with the knowledge of and obedience to the Word of God, right? Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, we'll come and live with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That's pretty, that's pretty strong, isn't it? That's pretty blunt. That's, that's in our face. You know, if, you, if you love me, he said, you'll keep my words. And this is the basis on which my Father and I will come and live with you and in you. There's, that's, that's it. There's no other way. That's the avenue, the Word of God. And this begs the question, how, how can we keep His Word if we don't know what it says? So it's a good thing. Yeah, that's why, you know, that's why we come to church. That's why we go to Bible study. That's why you're, you know, you study God's Word and you read God's Word and and I have to tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm old school. You know, you, you see me, I've, I've got a hard copy, right? And uh, I've, I've even got a notebook. I mean, I know a lot of preachers, we're carrying iPads and, you know, cell phones that we put our notes on. And I've, I prepare my notes on the computer, but I still print them out. I like, the, I like the hard copy. It bothers me a little bit. I have to tell you this, and I don't know how this church feels about it, but it bothers me that I don't see more people carrying a Bible to church. And uh, I know that's a personal thing, and it's okay. It's okay. Not judging anybody. I know that device in your pocket, you got 40 translations on there and, and commentaries and everything else, but I'm old enough to remember when basically everybody came to church carried your Bible. And, and I think that's a good thing. I miss those days. You know, people were turning the pages and you could hear that rustle of, of fine onion skin and, you know, paper turning and people, you know, 
going to the going to the scripture reference and taking notes and I, I don't know. I think we're missing something somehow in that. And again, that's just that's a personal thing. So however you you feel about that, but I encourage you to 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 just build the Bible into your into your life as much as you can. So anyway, I want to submit a thought to you this morning about how we are to love and value God's word, maybe in a way that you haven't done before. I want to talk about two words specifically in a minute, memorization and meditation. Memorization and meditation. Now, I, again, People sometimes get nervous when we talk about memorization. It brings back, you know, thoughts about high school and memorizing facts and lists and formulas and dates and definitions for tests and, and quizzes. And let's face it, many of us dread memorization. I know that. So again, I'm not here to stress you out. Relax. It's going to be okay. Some have told me I can't memorize. I've tried. I have failed too many times. I just can't. You know, my brain is a sieve. It's a steel trap sprung. It's okay. And I, I actually even have a handout for you available at the table down in the, in the lobby if you'd like, a method that you can memorize. I, I've memorized pretty good portions of God's Word, and I'm not, I don't have a photographic memory. I don't have a huge IQ. I, I have to work at it, but God's shown me a way that I can memorize if I work at it, and we have, I, I didn't tell you about our two boys. We have two boys. They're 44 and 41. One's in the computer field and one's in the field of finances. They are very bright, very intelligent young men. Yes, I'm bragging on them. I love them. And, and when people ask about how smart they are and how they've risen in these, those fields of endeavor, Linda says, well, they got their smarts from John, me, because she still has all hers. Not sure what she means by that, but, but, uh, so so I, I'm you know as I talk about memorization, I'm going to share some a, a few shorter passages of scripture with you this morning. It's 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 that's a product of some work, and I understand that. But I I wanted to hide some of God's word in my heart, and we memorize things that we have an interest in retaining, right? things that we value. Maybe you might memorize a story or a, uh, or a joke or a, a song or, you know, something because you value it. You want to retain that memory. And the most valuable things that we have as Christians now are the words of God, right? So I acknowledge that there can be a wrong motivation in it, in memorizing. I, I understand that. Some people might do it to show off in which case they're kind of ignoring Jesus' instructions about not doing religious things to be seen by men. I understand that, right? He said, don't give in that way, don't pray in that way, don't, don't do religious activities just to be seen by men. So I, I understand that, that people can, can show off that way or can be seen to be doing that way. But there are good reasons to to memorize. And one of them is that the Bible is not a book that is meant to be read and then put on the shelf, right? It's a living book. It's live and, and powerful, sharper than a two-edged two sword. And, and the new covenant is centered around God's word being written on our hearts. You read that, right? Jeremiah and 
and, and so on, the prophetic statement about the new covenant. And it means we need to know it. We need to internalize it. We need to, you know, get it here, yes, but we need to, we need to get it here. And when we do that, we're able to call upon its principles and instinctively do the things that the Spirit of God wants us to do. I, I, think, I think that we should know the Ten Commandments. That was the first passage of Scripture that I ever memorized in a, in a Christian doctrine class in Bible school. Our professor in the first quarter, he said, okay, you're all going to memorize. You can, you can pick the passage in Exodus or the passage in Deuteronomy, but I want you to memorize the Ten Commandments word for word, and you're going to have to write it out word for, you're going to have to write them out word for word on the test. So we had warning, and in my experience, there aren't a lot of people that even know what the Ten Commandments are. Well, they, they know that they're a list of rules from God. But if you ask them to, if you ask people to name them, then they go, well, let's see, you got to go to church. And don't kill. And don't steal. Oh, and don't commit adultery, right? But so usually they can get about four. If I had more time this morning, we'd run through them. But, but, but I, why? Because that's the, that's the foundation code of morality. In the church and, and in our, in our world, in our, in our country, in our country at least. So, so let me give you an exa- another example, right? So how many have ever struggled with depression? I have. I don't, I'm not ashamed to say that. There, you know, time, I'm going to tell you about that uh, time in my life when I was really struggled with depression. But if you know Romans 8.28 and 29, by the way, Romans 8.28 doesn't make any sense without Romans 8.29. What does Romans 8.28 say? God... God is able, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, right? And then verse 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So uh, that tells us a lot, not... uh, you know, that, that God is able to take everything that comes into our life and cause it to work out for good. If you love God and you're called according to his purpose, which is to become like Jesus. You see, so, so that's a wonderful thing that, that if we know those verses, we can call that up in a, in a deep time, in a dark time. How about the second passage I ever uh, memorized was 1 Corinthians 13. That was also for a a Bible school class on Corinthians. And most of you know 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? The first part of the chapter talks about the primacy of love, how important it is. You know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, in other words, love is the most important thing. The last part of the chapter deals with what we call the permanence of love. Everything else is going to pass away. Everything else, some you know, someday is going to, all the gifts are going to go away, but these three remain. Faith, hope, love, right? But the middle portion, verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, love does not brag, uh, and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, is not provoked, does, does not rejoice with unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's the description of love, the parameters of love, if you will. Well, uh, I'll tell you just a quick story about how God can use his word that way. When I was in Bible school, part-time I cooked at a restaurant called Sambo's in the town next to us. And on the way home from that job one day, I got off the bus. I would ride the bus over there and got off the bus in the bottom of a hill that was probably a half a mile, three-quarters of a mile up to where the church was, where we were. I was assistant, assistant pastor. And so I, I was walking up that hill, and as I was doing that, I was, mem- I was repeating 1 Corinthians 13, right? I was reciting it because, you know, get it from short-term memory to long-term memory. So I, I was saying it. And as I got to that verse 4, love is patient, it was, like there, it was like all of a sudden my heart was stabbed, particularly in relationship with Linda, right, my wife. And all of a sudden, God convicted me of how sometimes I wasn't patient with her. Now, I know this might be a shock hearing this from a pastor, right? But, but I, I was convicted that all the times I hadn't been patient. And so I repented, of course, asked God's forgiveness, went on. Love is kind. Oh, stabbed again. And every one of the parameters, if you will, as I, as I went through that, God was pointing out, well, you could improve you, you, you could improve your conduct with Linda. You could improve your attitude. You could improve your, your, you know, your patience, your kindness, not bragging. You know, ditch the pride. Don't act unbecomingly. <laughs> don't be so easily provoked. I know you guys don't have any trouble with any of these things, but I was pretty worldly and sinful. And uh, so the Word of God, as I put it into my mind and my heart, actually began to mold me and change me. And that's what we want, right? We want the character of Christ to, to rise up in us. So, and then I began to understand that, I, oh, I, Jesus gives us, an, the, the disciples give us, and give us an example, right? Jesus, when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, I know you've heard this, right? Three times, turn this bread, turn this stone into bread. Jesus responded, it is written, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. You know, Jesus responded, it is written. What was the other one, the other temptation? If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Took him up to the top of the mountain and so on. It is written, you shall worship. Jesus responded, well, you might say, well, that was Jesus. Of course he knows the word. But if you read the... Peter's sermon on Pentecost Sunday, it was filled with quotations, extensive quotations from the book of Joel and Psalms. And that was off the cuff. He had no warning. He didn't know he was going to preach that morning. It shows us that he had significant portions of God's word hidden in his heart, in his memory that the Holy Spirit could call out, call upon, at that point in time, Paul, the same way, read, you know, writing his letters when he probably didn't have access to all the you know, scrolls of scriptures and so on, yet he quoted extensively from Old Testament scriptures. So 
we, we know that the Word of God can change us inside as we internalize it. We know that we have an example from Jesus and the disciples. We also know that the Word of God is powerful when we're witnessing. We're supposed to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And, and, and to know some doctrine, and it's helpful if you have a scripture base that you can call on. So the reason I'm sharing these things is not to beat you down, not to pressure you, not to stress you, not to try to make you do anything. But if you love Jesus, if you love the, the Father, then, then loving the Word in a practical way, and I know you're, if you're here, I'm preaching to the choir a lot, I know here this morning, right? You, you're here because you love, you love church, you, you love worship, you, you love the Lord, and you love His Word. But again, I find in my experience in the church that we pastored for 40 years, uh, memorization and committing the Word of God, we, Sunday school, yeah, okay, children's church, yeah, and everybody knows John 3.16, you know, but then it gets a little sketchier for the majority. So it'll help us to move forward if we if we can do this. Now, I want to be honest with you. The word memorization is not in the Bible. Okay? So there's your out right there. If you, you know, okay. But, but if you take that door, then let me also tell you the word revival is not in the Bible. That's a shock. When I actually, the heartbeat of my ministry is really revival. That's, that's where Linda and I live in and breathe, and, and our heart beats for revival. And we've had the joy and the, the, the wonder and the glory of experiencing times of revival in our church. When I first began to study revival, I got out my concordance like all good Christians do when you want to study something, and I looked for the word revival, and I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. As a preacher and a pastor and a Bible school graduate, that the word revival, and I was like, what? What? How could this, how could the word revival not be in the Bible? John Wesley, you know, uh, Whitfield, uh, Pensacola, uh, Toronto, uh, God, what? And then I learned that God sometimes uses different terminology than we do. Right? We're not, he's not subject to us, we're subject to him. We have to learn his ways, right? His thoughts are below our thoughts, right? No. Right. Just checking to see if you're still with me. God uses a different word. You, if you're interested in that, uh, not here to hawk my book, but the power of return. There's a little hint, okay? Return, this is the word that God uses for revival. But the word that we see is meditation. Meditation. The problem for us in uh, modern society, in modern church, is that meditation, uh, the word has become confused and adulterated. Transcendental meditation. Eastern philosophies, Eastern religion, Eastern practice. You know, the idea of chanting a mantra or some other, you know, some word, the idea to empty your mind, right? 
That's what, that's, what mo- that's what modern meditation, Eastern meditation is about, emptying your mind. Well, that's not what, the, that's not what biblical meditation is about. We want to fill our mind. And, and scripturally, if you look up in the dictionary, meditation, we find the definition of meditation means to meditate, to think deeply about or focus one's thoughts on a topic. Some synonyms are contemplate, ruminate, ponder, muse, and reflect. In plain terms, it means to run something through your mind over and over again. Hmm. Interesting. In the Bible, it means pretty much the same thing. The ideas conveyed are that there's some deep thinking and or some out loud talking that's taking place. Right? So, so what we want to do is not empty our mind. We want to fill our mind with something. We want to learn something. We want to contemplate it. We want to meditate on it. Uh, we want, want to muse on it. We want to chew it like a, one, of the, one of the descriptive words is used like a, like a cow chewing its cud. And for, we're from Vermont. We know that means what that means. And so you're bringing, you're bringing something up and, and masticating it and, and trying to get all the good, all the nutrition out of it that you can. And, and so meditation is, is different than memorization. Memorization, it has the purpose is to fix the verse or passage so firmly in your mind that you can recall it whenever needed. So in other words, that's a rote I understand that's a road activity. That's why I've heard, I've even heard from the pulpit, you know, memorization. No, you don't really, you know, that's a rote thing. You don't have to bother with that. I, I beg to, I, I beg to differ because I, I want to kind of change the term. I want to kind of mold those two together in our mind, in our Western mindset, move into more the biblical idea of meditation, which is the idea is to fix the verse or passage so firmly in your heart that you can rely on its truth whenever you need it. And there's a difference there. There's a difference there. So I want to I want to suggest something that I've never you this this is new stuff here this morning that I'm talking about for me. This isn't an old can sermon. This is this is new, okay? I want to propose a new word to add a word to the English language. Now I know that It'd be a little shocking because I know they're wordsmiths here. I know you love their teach. I, Florence might be shocked to hear that I'm, you know, t- trying to add to the English language. Well, so we have the word meditation. We have the word memorization. Now there are two choices. We could go for meditation, right? meditation and memorization, or memitate. I, yeah, Pastor Bob. Yeah, how how many like memitate? How many like meterization? Okay, I think I think memitate has it. All right, I'm having a little fun with you, but it, but the point is is serious that 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 if we're gonna follow scripture, okay, so. I know I've got limited time this morning. I don't have till three, right? That's where our services used to run. Okay, right? Psalm 1, the introductory psalm, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he memitates. 
He shall be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. I could go on and finish the psalm, but the point, all right. If we go, if we go, if we go back to Psalm 119 where I started, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, this is a relatively new passage that I've been memorizing. Although at one point in time, I could, I could recite the entire Psalm 119, all 176 verses. I can't do that anymore, but because I haven't kept it up, you know, have to, some of these things you have to, they take some maintenance. But if I remember, it goes something like this. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Your, your commandments, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Right? I love this. I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more insight than all my teachers. And, and I understand more than the aged. So if you want to be smarter than John Goyette, you know, he's got white hair, but, you know, he's not smart. Where does wisdom come from? Where does knowledge come from? Where does understanding come from? Where does insight come from? You, you, have, you have it. You have the source. You can be wiser than your enemies. One more, just briefly, right? Psalm 19. I love Psalm 19. We used to sing it a long time ago. Verse 7. starts in verse 7, I think. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, or something like that, right? Am I close? The fear of the Lord is clean. Oh, oh, meditate on that a little bit. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. I know the last two verses were King James. The word. We love the word. We love, we love the word. Let me, tell you, let me tell you briefly a story. When Linda and I came, came to Bennington, we started the church. God was... God was gracious to us. We, we fasted and prayed. We put an ad in the paper. We, we arranged to use the high school auditorium. Well, I had big dreams. And we announced a service. And Linda took the little kids. She went into the cafeteria. I took the big kids and went in the auditorium. Everybody else. And 26 people showed up for her first service, which I was pretty happy about. The next Sunday, 17 came back. But we never fell below that. We started to grow, you know, 25, 50, 75, 100. We, in the second year, we started a Christian school. And that went from the first year, 17 students, then 35. The third year, we had 63, I think. We started a halfway house for the, some of the young people that were uh, coming off the streets and, and getting saved. We were, exciting things were happening. Miracles were, we had some real notable miracles, actual physical tangible miracles. People started coming out of the Catholic Church. There was 
charismatic move was was big in that day and and so we were riding high but then in our fourth year the wheels came off and just a, there was there were a number of things that happened there there wasn't really unity in our in our leadership team we had kind of a mixed multitude we had a a portion of hyper faith if i say hyper faith you know people that wanted you know some position and power and and influence and and there and the relationships weren't uh, weren't right there there was just uh, one day i drove into the school parking lot and i saw our head teacher who was one of our elders talking to a young lady who was an assistant teacher at the school she was also our uh, the keyboardist in our worship team and god said to me there's something that's not right i went and confronted them and they were having an affair he was married two young daughters and you know it just there the supervisor at our halfway house there was violence he you know put one of the young kids up against the wall we had to close that there were the the state came against us that was back in the days before christian schools were were proliferating like they do now and tried to shut us down they sent truant officers after our parents had one young man in our church literally took off his shoes in our service and said, I shake off the dust of my feet against you, John Goyette, you're a false prophet, and spent the next year on the sidewalk in front of our church preaching and shouting and harassing people and telling them, don't go in there. And uh, I still don't know exactly what he was so upset about and what he was uh, so, but it just, and uh, we, yeah, it, I could, the list could go on. That, that's right. <laughs> so we went from 150 to 30 in in 6 months crushing painful i'm talking but betrayal yeah well the whole thing was like it was a slow motion train train wreck it was you know it was these things happened on you know right one after the other and 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 it wasn't just that we you know it was ripping our heart every you know, every week there was there was something, and just the ongoing pain. And I, I, it sent. I was always kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Always, you know, pretty joyful, even as a sinner, believe it or not. But I descended into a time of darkness and uh, depression. It seemed like there was a black cloud that just followed me around, and and my heart. I never knew what people meant when they said they had a broken heart. I didn't understand that. But there was something literally that was broken inside of me, and I could all I could do was I would lay on the floor and and groan and cry. God, why? And, you know why the why questions? You know and what and how and you know where do we go from here? Financial pressures. Our boys were six and three, right about that age, and uh, it was just brutal. And one Wednesday night at a Bible study, there were a handful of people there. I taught on uh, a couple of verses in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, that, I, that, were, that I'd never really seen very much before. And uh, it goes this way. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? And, and my, it just, it was a glimmer, a glimmer of light, and there was a brother 
still in the church, and he said, after we had talked about it and, you know, got all the goodness out of it and everything, he said, let's memorize those two verses. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. I, I said, okay. And he said, next Wednesday night, I will be able to recite those verses to you. Word for word. No mistakes. I said, it's a deal. We shook on and like made a covenant. Right? We're going to memorize Philippians 3, 13 and 14. And we did. We did that. And next Wednesday night, after Bible study, we recited those two verses to each other. And we said, wow, that's good. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's memorize a couple more verses in Philippians chapter 3. And so we did. And every week for about a year, and other people started to join us in teams of two, we would memorize, we would, we would commit to what we were going to memorize. You, it was up to you, but you, wanted, you needed to do it in tandem, using the same translation, everything like that. And so we started to it at two verses at a time, then three. And as, as, my, as, your, as you begin to exercise your memitation power, you can memorize more on a weekly basis. So then we were doing four and then five and then six Seven verses a week. Not, not, not trying to just do more, but we, we just did. So we memorized the whole book of Philippians. We memorized the book of Ephesians. We memorized Psalm 119. We memorized Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8 and Genesis 1. And, you know, I forget now all, all the passages that we memorized. It, it didn't change everything immediately. But, but the Bible says the entrance of your word brings light. And, and it began, it opened a window, right? And, and the fresh air began to come breathe into my heart and into my soul again. And God spoke to me about what I needed to do to change things, right? So, and it was a whole process. It wasn't just, I'm not saying memorization is the magic, you know, the silver bullet that is going to change everything in your life, but it was a key. And so, so three years later, we bought a beautiful six-acre parcel, up on the top of a hill in Vermont and uh, converted the old barn that was on that property into a church. And, uh, and in another six or seven years, we did a $2 million building program. And a year after that, we were in full-blown revival. And with, with our services were going three, four hours. People would come to church, wouldn't leave. They, you know, stacked like cordwood around the, you know, People were just overwhelmed. People would run into the church from the parking lot because they, they didn't know what was going to happen. God was moving so powerfully, powerfully. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm not, that's a God, when God does that, when God shows up in that intensity of his manifest presence. But we were, we rode that wave, you know, for, for as long as we could. And that wasn't the only experience of revival that we had. And I, I just want to encourage you that, yes, yes, prayer. I saw, I saw prayer warriors, you know, marching the, the path and, and the worship, the banners. We loved that. And, and if you'd gone on much longer with the worship, I'd have probably started dancing myself because when, when, you know, when God breaks the chains and you experience the, the, the power of God and, and what you yearn for and what you long for, 
It's, it's so wonderful and you don't want to give it up. You just want to go forward and you love God and you, you love his word. I want to close in a few minutes, but I want to share a little bit more of Philippians chapter 3. Am I all right, Pastor Bob? Okay. Because, because actually I'm going to be obedient to you. Pastor Bob asked me to, to share just a little bit about the gospel too and give you an opportunity. I, I, I love Philippians 3. It's, one of my, it's a life passage for me in a lot of ways. One of the great things about memorization is that, or memitation, I need to retrain my brain, is that you see things in the Word of God that you didn't see before. You see the order and the outline that the Holy Spirit builds into His Word that you, you, you would just, you pass, you don't, under, you don't grasp it, with, you know, when, without, when you're at the surface. So, so I'm going to be, I'm going to start in Philippians, if you want to put it up there, uh, Philippians, if you have it, Philippians uh, chapter uh, 3, starting in about verse 2. I'm in the New American Standard. I don't know what you're showing up there, but I'll pick up where, where Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so Paul is warning the, the Philippian church. You know, that was the place where the slave girl followed him and he eventually cast the demon out of her. That was where Lydia and the women were meeting at the river for prayer. That was where they took Paul and Silas in the center of the town and beat them and would have killed them if they hadn't been rescued to be thrown in jail. And at midnight that night, Philippi was where Paul and Silas were singing. Their, their feet in the stocks and chained. Paul loved the Philippian church. It's the one letter, there's no correction, there's no, there's no, there's no problem that he's dealing with. He says, be careful. There are false believers. In other words, they're, they're wolves, right? And Jesus told us that too. False, the false circumcision, those who say they're Christians, but they're not. We're the true circumcision, he says, and here are the, here are the factors that qualify us to be the true circumcision. We worship God in the Spirit. And glory in Christ Jesus. And so importantly, put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. And he goes on to explain what he means by that. He goes, right? So, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. He says, if anybody has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcise the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So he lists his qualifications in the flesh. In other words, why he could be confident before God. 
fleshly reasons why Saul of Tarsus, could, who became the Apostle Paul, of course, could, be, could have confidence before God. And that relates to people today who are religious, right? Or, you know, you're born in a good family. You're born of a good family. You know, well born into, into, into the privilege of being in a good church. Paul said, look, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the one tribe that stuck with David and Judah, of course. So Benjamin was a respected tribe in, in Israel and, and, uh, and a Pharisee. Trained under Gamaliel, he could have added. Knowledgeable in the law. And zealous for God. Work, I worked for God. Of course, what he was doing wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the right thing, but he, he was zealous for God. He was working for God. According to the righteous, righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He's not claiming to be perfect, but he's saying, with, you know, I did what the law required. If I sinned, I brought the sacrifice. I, you know, did. I availed myself of the means of grace. Some people in some religious streams might say, you know, I got baptized as a baby, I, or I got baptized when I was 12, or I, and I take communion, and I, you know, go to prayer meeting, and I go to Bible study, and, you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm obeying the rules. I've done a, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a spiritual man. And he, he honestly, you know, that was, if, I, if anyone would have confidence in the flesh, he said, I far more. But then he goes on to say, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count them, but you might be offended if I used the term that Paul used. Most translations say rubbish, right. dung, excrement, in order that I may gain Christ. I count all things lost in view, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Stick with me for a minute. I'm almost there. Not having a righteousness of my own. That's so important. If you ever understand the gospel, you have to understand this. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That's confidence in the flesh. By the works of the law shall no man be justified. That's what the Bible tells us. The law wasn't there to make us holy. The law was, make us, was there to make us sinful. See, people get it. People think, okay, I'm, I'm going to obey the rules. I'm going to do the, the right things. And they think that is going to give them the ability to be holy. But that's not, we, we, we've already blown that. We're way, we're way past that. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, having been conformed to his death. Wow. When I saw that, I said, I need to preach from that passage. People have to understand this. And there are many good passages to preach from, but it highlighted and clarified a facet of the gospel that I had never seen so clearly in Scripture before that applied to people that I knew, people even in my church, people who were good people, people that were spiritual people, that were religious people, that had done the right things, that were serving God even. But I knew their confidence was in themselves, at least to a level, at least to a point. But Paul said, we have no confidence in the flesh. So it's not, it's not my goodness plus God's righteousness. Right? Are you with me? The Reformation taught us that, right? By grace alone are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. Totally we cast ourselves on the mercy of God. Totally Rely on the blood of Jesus. This is the gospel. There is Anything else is another gospel. Anything else is a different Jesus. So, I'd like, you to, ask, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads for a moment this morning. And, and I want to pray. I want to pray that God will stir your heart to meditate on his word, to memorize, or memitate. <laughs> maybe you already do. And maybe you used to in Sunday school, and that's wonderful. And I encourage you to. And I know it's difficult. I know it's work. I know it's hard, especially when you get to our ages, you know, to sometimes discipline your mind. I understand all of that. But I want to pray that that the love of God, the love of his word will, will grow at NC4 even more. I know this is a good church. I know it's a powerful church. I understand. I'm, believe me, I, I know quality when I see it. I've been around a long, long enough to know that. So I'm here just to encourage you in that. But I also want to pray in a moment as we're confronted with, with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And I'm not here, I, I'm not here to put anybody down or to criticize or to judge you. Uh, that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the only entrance into heaven is by grace through faith. In Jesus. And at some point, you must disavow your own righteousness or the thought that you are righteous. I'm not saying you're worthless. I'm not saying you haven't done good things. I'm not saying that you're not valuable to, to God and the church. I'm not saying any of that. Please hear me, what I'm, what I'm saying. Your relationship with God, the born-again experience of knowing Christ 
and being found in him on that day is is only achieved by laying aside any self-righteousness and receiving a righteousness from God which comes by faith. So I'm going to pray first about about a zeal for God's word and that some might even say, yeah, pastor, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up your handout downstairs at the table and maybe I'll try your memitating a little bit. And then I'm going to pray if there's somebody here and if it's one person like I was in that little church in North Adams, Massachusetts, 1972, but it was a church that faithfully preached the gospel, gave an invitation every Sunday night to someone who might need it. And there was a sailor there that Sunday night that desperately needed a new life. Now, I was a sinner soaked in sin, but Paul was religious, and he later said, I'm the greatest sinner who ever lived. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this wonderful, beautiful church. I thank you for all all who are listening. I pray, God, that in our hearts, a desire and a love for your word will grow, that you'll nurture it, Lord, by the power of your spirit that you put the excitement of being able to hide your word, not only in our mind, but in our heart. It's so wonderful. It's so, it, it's, it's, it enlightens the eyes. It rejoices the heart. It restores the soul. There's nothing like it in this world. Oh, God. We know the doctrine. We know the truth. Many of us really, truly do know you, but Lord, we can, there may be a day when we no longer have your word to hold. The way times are going, we don't know. Lord, stir us. Stir us regarding your word. And Father, as our heads are bowed and, and we're, we're before you just in honesty today, I, I want to reach out to each one here in love and acceptance, understanding. And if you're here today and and maybe you've been in church a lot. Maybe you were born into a church family. You know what it is to partake of the means of grace. You were baptized. You were confirmed. You take communion whenever you can. You read your Bible. You go to church. I understand that. You're doing all the things. But you, in your heart of hearts, you've never really heard it that way. Wow, no confidence in the flesh. And maybe you're even a little angry at me for saying that. That you're not good enough. I don't mean by that that you're not worthy of salvation. I mean that your righteousness is not good enough. But the good news is that Jesus died for you. To give you a righteousness that comes from God. And that you can receive it by faith even right now. And it goes something like this, reaching out to God in prayer. And if you want to pray this out loud with me or in the depth of your heart, but mean it with everything within you, Heavenly Father, I love you. I want to know you more. I want to know your son, Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the joy of your salvation. I want to follow Jesus. And be his disciple. I want to be forgiven. Please forgive me, Lord. 
I am a sinner. I lay aside my self-righteousness. God, give me by faith right now the gift of righteousness that I may stand before you. I'm willing to join in the suffering of Christ and I want to be there for the resurrection on that great day when he returns. In his name I pray, I thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.